What's up, everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around. But we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message. Uh, would you turn in your copy of Scripture to Isaiah chapter 51? Uh, we'll be reading together verses 17 through 23. If you're using the Pew Bibles, you can find this on page 612. Uh, when you found that, would you please stand for the reading and hearing of God's holy word? Hear now the word of our God. <clears throat> wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering, there is none to guide her among all the sons she has borne. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have happened to you. Who will console you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword, who will comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They are full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering. The bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more. And I will put it into the hand of your tormentors, who have said to you, Bow down, that we may pass over. And you have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. Our God, I do pray that you would apply these words to our heart, that we find confidence in your grace and your grace alone. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, there's a call uh, here that Isaiah makes to the people of God, uh, to Jerusalem, the inhabited uh, city where the Lord himself dwells, a call to wake up or wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up. Um, uh, it's, uh, many of us have uh, a little bit of uh, difficulty waking up in the morning, don't we? Um, there's various things that we do uh, to try to wake ourselves up, maybe splash water on your face. Uh, turn the lights on, get out of bed, certainly. You stand up, right? Uh, you, you get yourself ready for the day and put on uh, the things uh, that you're going to uh, use or need for the day. Um, 
Sometimes, uh, like myself, uh, you maybe start brewing uh, your first cup of coffee in the morning. Uh, you need uh, something to rouse yourself and to wake up, but probably uh, the, the most important thing that would get you out of bed and cause you to wake up and to stand up is to have some sort of reason. Uh, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, if someone uh, comes to you and says, wake up, and it's still dark, uh, what comes to your mind, probably the first thing you say is, what's going on? Why now? What's happening? Uh, there's a concern as to what, what is it that makes this the time to wake up? It gives me some reason why it's important and worth getting out of bed in the morning, or at least in this early hour of the day. Uh, Isaiah, while he calls the people of God here, Jerusalem, to wake up or wake yourself, um, and moves on later in early uh, chapter 52 to say some of what it means to wake up, put on your strength, put on your beautiful garments, uh, shake yourself from the dust and arise, be seated. He says those things later here in our passage, the verses we're considering. He is concerned for the context as to why. What is it that is to cause the people of God to awaken? Why now? What are the circumstances that we need to understand and to know? And the reason why he is calling the people of God to awake centers on what happens to the cup of the wrath of the Lord. Uh, the cup of the wrath, you noticed it early on in the passage, verse 17, as well as later uh, in the final verse, still considering this cup. That's going to be our focus of the of the sermon today as we look at this passage. What happens to the cup? What happens to the cup of the Lord's wrath? Uh, it begins with it being something that they drank from, then comes to be something that the Lord takes from them, but then he actually does something with it and puts it into the hands of others. We're going to trace the cup of the wrath of the Lord in this passage and consider what is it that's going on? What's happening uh, that he calls the people of God to awake? First, uh, how this begins with Jerusalem that they have indeed uh, been given to drink from the cup of his wrath. Look again at verse 17. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. Uh, Isaiah is using uh, imagery here to speak of the idea of Jerusalem having suffered under the wrath of God, having endured the wrath of God in some sense, enduring what he calls later the rebuke of God at the end of verse 20. Uh, the rebuke of the Lord that comes on account of sin, what is the wrath of God in terms of his uh, vindicating himself, his holiness and his righteousness and bringing uh, what, are, what is a bitter suffering on account of sin, the suffering of the wrath of God. And all of the features of this imagery focusing on the cup, which is what will be our focus, 
is meant to impress upon them the reality of the wrath of God. The reality of the suffering of the wrath of God, surprisingly, for the people of God. That's what's surprising, perhaps a little bit to us. Uh, the reality of the wrath of God, even for the people of God. So let's consider some of this imagery first. He speaks of it as something that they have drunk, that they drank, that they've taken in. Um, now, uh, there's a number of ways that, uh, that something, a substance, can perhaps be applied to us or, or have some kind of influence or impact upon us. Uh, sometimes you have a kind of medication that you can apply topically uh, to your skin. Uh, sometimes uh, you, have, uh, you have an experience with something that perhaps you see at a distance or other, otherwise uh, uh, close to you. Sometimes uh, you can feel something or hear something around you. But, but the idea of drinking something, of actually taking it in with your mouth and ingesting it, uh, is, is bringing it into almost the, the, the deepest recesses of, of yourself. Uh, you've, you've taken it in. There's opportunity to taste and to smell uh, and, and perhaps to feel its effects even immediately in your own mouth, something that is pressed uh, to your lips. Um, oftentimes, uh, with a variety of substances, there's, uh, there's a warning label on any kind of household cleaning items, right? There's something, okay, this can cause skin irritation, uh, or, or, or put water on your eyes if, if perhaps you get it in your eyes. But the, but the severest warning is if oftentimes you ingest something, you take it in, uh, because here it comes in uh, to your body and and enters your bloodstream and is processed by uh, the organs that usually are reserved, usually are reserved for, uh, for things that are of benefit. Uh, the point here in this idea of them drinking of the wrath of God is that we take seriously what God's wrath is. His wrath is not merely a warning shot. His wrath does not merely exist for the sake of teaching and instructing something. His wrath is what's described as a punitive reality. There is punishment involved with wrath. That's what makes it uh, so severe and, and, and threatening and startling at times. This is something that they don't just have opportunity to smell or to see the effects on others, or to hear it or see it, but they actually take it in. Uh, it is something that they have drunk. It's the first uh, part of this image. Secondly, uh, there's a wrath that they have drunk, but also drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath. Let's think about this imagery of a cup. Uh, anytime uh, in, in ancient cultures uh, or in, in any kind of archaeological uh, dig site, if you come across a cup, right away you're dealing with some kind of civilization, right? Uh, something that has been crafted for a particular purpose. And if there's a cup that has been crafted, uh, then you expect that whatever is put into it is at least sometimes itself crafted just as carefully. 
Uh, but even more than that, having a cup that is crafted and intentionality in terms of what is put in it and perhaps even mixed and made for the one uh, who is partaking of it, but, but you already have an image of what is a, a sitting down at some kind of a place, a table, right? Oftentimes the imagery of having a cup brings with it what is a closeness and an intimacy of sitting down at a table with something. It's not simply coming by a stream and taking a drink, but what is um, enjoying that which ordinarily um, has uh, as its context a kind of fellowship and coming together. What's so startling about this wrath is that it comes in the context of a covenant relationship. There is a kind of covenant bond here. That is what makes sense of the wrath of God. Ordinarily, oftentimes, we think of God's covenant as being opposed or kind of counteracting or counterbalancing the wrath of God. But the way it's described here in the imagery of a cup, we understand that the wrath of God is understood in terms of what is a covenant relationship. This is how we ought to understand things like the image of God and us being made in the image of God. It's precisely because we have a particular kind of relation to God as our creator, that sin is what it is and wrath is what it is, and we are considered covenant breakers on account of our sin. That's the context in which this is understood. That's the difference between, in terms of understanding what this wrath is like, is the difference between um, hating murder and adultery in general uh, versus hating a murderer or adulterer who has taken your spouse. There's, there's a personal quality to this. And it's the context of a bond that makes sense of what this is and what perhaps makes it so startling. Uh, the wrath of God is a real reality, and what's impressed upon us as he speaks to Jerusalem is a real reality uh, in general, if in general, first for the people of God whom he speaks to here. Uh, what's the extent of ingesting and taking in what is the wrath that is held uh, in this cup? Well, it says uh, that you have drunk from the cup of his wrath. You have drunk to the dregs, to the dregs. Uh, down, down, you have, uh, it's like eating the bag of chips down to the crops. <laughs> we have this thing in our house where we have, we have uh, multiple bags of chips that just have crumbs left at the end. Because <laughs> we all recognize, well, there's still something there, we don't want to throw it away, but, but I'm not going to eat from it. <laughs> so our, our cupboard is filled with, uh, with, uh, with bags of chips down to the crumbs. The idea, you've reached the end, you've, you've had your cup of coffee and you've gone down to the point where, where there is just the sediment left. Uh, and you kind of, if you drink more, then you're kind of grinding, uh, grinding the coffee beans in your, in your mouth. Uh, we have this with other things, with apple cider, with wine, probably some of the imagery here where there's a sediment that is left. The idea is uh, the whole of what is contained has been taken in. Now, sometimes uh, when, when we think of the imagery of reaching the end, coming to the crumbs at the end of the bag or reaching the dregs, of whatever it is that we have, uh, we have ingested and, and, and drank from, uh, we think of the fact that it's done, it's over, right? 
Um, uh, and sometimes that could be disappointing if it's a bag of chips or your first cup of coffee. <laughs> uh, or it can be a relief if it's some kind of medicine that you're not interested in really taking in and is bitter to the taste. Uh, but the idea here is not merely that it has come to an end, but that the whole has been taken in. Part of the idea is, is something like this. If you, uh, if, if, if you come across um, a, a, a toddler or, or, or a, a young a, a baby, an infant, who has next to them a bottle of Tylenol, uh, you can call poison control, right? And they ask, well, well how, is, what, how much is left in the bottle? You never say, oh, don't worry, it's empty. They can't have any more. No, there's a seriousness to it when you come across an empty bottle because the full has been taken in. That's, that's the sense here. It is not merely a taste that Jerusalem has been given to drink from, but what is down to the dregs. Won't be our focus now, but you can consider in verse 18, 19, and 20, there's this sense of the destruction that has come upon the city. Not a warning of destruction, not merely an army that approaches, but actual destruction and devastation to the point of extending even to all. All her sons fainting at the head of every street. It has actually come uh, to the dregs upon this place. Uh, lastly, the, the substance is described in terms of the effect that it has. It's called the cup of staggering. Uh, it has its effect, much like wine itself can, can very quickly have an effect upon someone uh, to the point as it describes later in verse 21, says that uh, you who are drunk, but not with wine, drunk, drunk with the wine of the wrath of God having taken it in such that uh, there's not something in you that is able to overpower it or that remains, but actually it comes and it overtakes and overwhelms your person such that any, any kind of ability that you have is, is clouded uh, and perhaps even turned against you. Uh, it's worse if you are staggering as opposed to simply having fainted because you might hurt yourself. Uh, here's something that has taken in and is overwhelmed and comes upon you. It has the effect that it ordinarily has. Part of the point of this imagery is, again, Isaiah sees and considers what is the reality of the wrath of God, even for the people of God. Now, consider uh, what this would be like then for Isaiah. Uh, he has, um, if you remember some of what we've considered in previous weeks, Isaiah is at this point uh, in large measure considering what is the future state of the people of God. This is, this is you could think of it as future Jerusalem that Isaiah is speaking to. And what he is considering here, the reality of the wrath of God, not only threatened but actually coming upon this place, what he is seeing is he is seeing the effect and the consequence of what he has in his day experienced in that he speaks to a people who do not hear and do not see. Uh, this is the effect of his preaching having been refused and rejected. This is the effect of what is the persistent sin of this people, where what has been spoken of beforehand has indeed come upon them. And the surprising thing is that when the Lord has Isaiah consider this, when Isaiah sees it, the Lord does not have Isaiah said, see, I told you. Isaiah doesn't say, you should have listened. 
Isaiah doesn't say, see, this is exactly what you've deserved. The surprising thing in this passage is that when Isaiah considers what is the reality of the wrath of God, the call that the Lord has him say is, awake. Wake yourself. And stand up. It is not merely destruction that has come, but when Isaiah has impressed upon him what is, what is the reality of his own even rejection in his day, the call is that the people of God might awake. Surprisingly, in verse 52, and chapter 52, it's putting on beautiful garments, right? What is a joyous condition? Why? Not merely because they have endured under the wrath of God, but because there has been a change that takes place. Something has happened to the cup. That which they once was once in their hands was pressed to their lips and that they have drunk from. There is a change that Isaiah sees that frames his entire preaching. And this is the next main point of what we'll consider. What happens to this cup in verse 22. This is what the Lord says, what Isaiah says, your God is telling you says this in verse 22 from the Lord. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering. The bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more. No more. There is an ending to the wrath of God that was endured. You shall drink from the bowl of my wrath no more things just to think about or to consider what this means. The first is that the suffering that was once endured ceases. Now this is a surprising thing when we think about the wrath of God. Isn't it? Uh, there's something appropriate in that when we consider the wrath of God, we consider the one whose wrath it is. And so it is something that, that is, in our minds, as eternal as God is. What's surprising here is the act of God to take what was once endured and to remove it. It ceases and it stops. And cut off at the source. Notice this. Uh, what is taken away? Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering. Uh, 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 taken away at its source such that not only are, are you to stop drinking, but you are unable to drink because the cup is removed. Unable now to drink from that which they once have drunk from the cup of the wrath of his, uh, from the wrath of the Lord. This is remarkable. Jerusalem at this point would have gotten so accustomed to the idea that the Lord is merely wrathful. That any time there is an enemy that arises, what, what is the purpose but to visit the Lord's rebuke upon his people? But Isaiah says here that what you have once suffered now ceases. Second thing that we see here, not only have what they suffered ceased, but there's also a promise as to what will come. Uh, you shall drink from the cup of his wrath, the bowl of his wrath, no more. How many times uh, do we read in the history of God's people in the Old Testament what seems to be uh, judgment upon judgment? It's like this unending kind of cycle that now is broken. It, it stops. 
Uh, it's not simply taken away for the sake of then coming again or even being threatened against them another time. But taken away such that he, the Lord says, you will drink from it no more. No more does it come upon the people of God. Now, there's no indication, surprisingly here, that it's simply because they've changed their ways. It's not the focus of this passage. It's not that, okay, you finally learned what God is trying to teach you so you have no need. No, the Lord has said he's taken away and you shall drink no more. This come, brings us to the last thing that, that what the Lord is now saying is that it's as though he has considered not merely that they will not drink from it, but rather they are those who have already drunk from the cup of his wrath. It's the difference between having wrath uh, withheld and always ominously, at least potentially in the future, having wrath withheld versus what happens here, having wrath removed and finished. It is done uh, in the very language. Uh, the bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more, or perhaps more literally, uh, never again. You will never again drink from the wrath, presuming that there was once a time. This is the, the state that they have now moved into in which uh, this is wrath that has been suffered and therefore not to be suffered Again, when, when does this happen uh, for the people of God? I hope you're anticipating some of where this takes place. Uh, this is something, a transition that takes place with Christ Jesus and in him. Uh, it's remarkable that uh, Jesus Christ, uh, in, in whom there was no sin, uh, who was the beloved son of the Father, he describes the very things that he endured as having taken, of having received from the Father what is the cup that comes from him. Uh, it is the cup of his wrath. When he's in the garden in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he prays to the Father, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In John, the Gospel of John, he describes even to others when, 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 they are, when his disciples are resisting his arrest, what will lead to his suffering and death on the cross, says, shall I not drink from the cup that my Father has given to me? Uh, the cup of the wrath of the Lord is what comes upon Christ Jesus. And so the removal from God's people takes place insofar as it is removed from him. Christ has drunk from the cup of his wrath and it is removed in that he is raised from the dead and ascends into heaven. It is removed in such a way that it is considered it has already been suffered. It is in Christ that this benefit comes to the people of God. This means two things. Number one, this benefit is found only in him, not insofar as you or anyone else has suffered it. It is found only in him and in his having suffered under the wrath of God. The second thing is this, that this benefit is given to those who by his grace have never even suffered under such wrath, who've never even suffered under such wrath. Isn't this the blessing that has come to us? Who here has endured what Jerusalem has endured in this passage? But still the benefit and the blessing comes to the people of God 
Why? Not merely because wrath is somehow dissipated and done away with, but because it has been suffered. And it has been suffered in Christ Jesus. A couple things that this means for us. What you endure in your, in your life, as you trust in Christ Jesus and belong to him, those who belong to Christ Jesus and look to him by faith, the kind of things that we suffer in this world are not to be attributed to the wrath of God against you. If you belong to Christ Jesus, you will drink from the cup of his wrath no more. It is gone. It is finished. It is done. Number two, it means that we have no fear of wrath coming again. No more. It is not simply consider what Christ has endured and make sure the same thing doesn't happen to you. But this is wrath no more will come upon this place, will come upon Christ and those who are in him. No more. Not again will it come upon you. But then lastly, we consider still what is the real reality of the wrath of God. When we consider our own sin, we consider what it is that comes upon our sin, we are to think in terms of an actual wrath suffered, but not that which comes upon you, but that which has fallen upon Christ. The benefit that comes upon us is this is a wrath. The wrath for my sin has been endured and suffered. The wrath for your sin if you belong to Christ Jesus, has indeed been endured and suffered. This is why when we consider what it means to respond to one another insofar as we see sin, we see repentance from sin, a laying hold of Christ, um, it is not our job to try to find a way to punish one another. We don't do that. Uh, we don't simply, we don't, we don't have in our mind that there's a need for someone to suffer under the things that they deserve. That's not what we do. Why? Because it is a suffering that has indeed been endured and been suffered by Christ Jesus. We are not vindictive. We do not seek punishment or an exacting of punishment. But it is that which has been endured by Christ Jesus. But the cup does go somewhere. Uh, it says this, verse 22, Behold, I've taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath, you shall drink no more, and I will put it into the hand of your tormentors. It, it goes somewhere. Uh, now, this is maybe a little bit surprising. Um, wasn't it just, uh, hasn't someone just drunk it to the dregs? <laughs> What's the point of passing on a cup? And this is where the, the imagery begins to break down just a little bit, because this is something that even when drunk in full, there is still no shortage of the wrath of the Lord. Uh, it is a cup that doesn't just disappear, but is actually taken from one and put into the hands of others. And it's because, even understanding what it means for those who were in Christ Jesus, uh, that the ceasing of wrath is a genuine, involves a genuine forgiveness, not merely a lawlessness. The Lord doesn't shrug his shoulders at your sin and say, you know what, the thing that would come against you, forget about it, don't worry about it. No, it's actually suffered and forgiven and done away with. Uh, there's a wrath that is endured. Uh, it's a crime that does not, the punishment of which does not come upon us. Um, and the law has had its effect upon Christ Jesus. But we also remember that God is still 
a God of justice. Now, there's comfort here um, in that we don't shrug our shoulders and cease to care about sin or its effects. Uh, if you've suffered the effects of the sin of others, you should find comfort here uh, that the Lord takes it seriously, just as seriously and more seriously uh, than perhaps you do as one who has suffered under it. Uh, wrath still exists, but it is put into the hands of others. But perhaps what's most poignant for the people of God here is considering what this means for their call to awake. Uh, what had happened uh, in the history of this people is that uh, there were those who came upon them, their tormentors, as described here, that were actually instruments of the wrath of God against his people. He used other sinful people to accomplish his purposes in the history of Jerusalem. That's part of what he was doing. So what we have here is that putting it into the hand of those who were once against them is a kind of reversing of, the, of this reality. So that consider it this way, uh, that part of what's happening is the very same zeal and fervor with which God has judged the sins of his people now turns for the sake of benefiting his people and giving them a full deliverance. Just as zealously as God deals with sin, so zealously the Lord now seeks the deliverance of his people. How he is just as zealously for his people in ensuring that we enjoy and have what is the full benefit of this wrath endured, no longer coming upon his own. Isn't this what we trust in when we look to Christ? Uh, that the very zeal with which he judges our sin in him is his very zeal to save his people and to forgive us of all of our sins. Uh, the call here is for us to wake up and to stand up, to acknowledge the reality of the wrath of God in what has been suffered in Christ Jesus for the sake of his people. And to know that that same zeal with which the wrath of God comes upon sin that same zeal is set to your salvation to see that there is nothing that would oppose the work of Christ. Let's go to our God in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace that you have shown us in Christ. Strengthen us in him, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. everybody, my name is Rob and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.